welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. This is episode number 36. I'm Joel. And in this episode, I'm going to be speaking with Rich Litvin. And when I first met Rich, it was in one of our programs. And instead of talking about coaching, which is what I thought he would do, he just started coaching people and it was electric. And so those of you that may know Rich by now, you'll know that that's what he likes to do. He just likes his coaching to speak for itself. And so then that's what he's going to do in this episode. He's going to coach me. But before that, we explore two big ideas. We explore what is the real job of a transformational coach? How does Rich see that? And we're going to explore how can we mess with our clients' thinking in a very powerful way. And I think that's something that Rich does very well. So those of you that don't know Rich, he's a master transformative coach. He's the author of the best-selling book, The Prosperous Coach. I love that book. It's, it's, it's a great book about how do you build a coaching practice through serving people and creating powerful relationships. So before we go into the podcast, I want to tell you about something very special. Something that we've been cooking up behind the scenes in the Coaches Rising HQ. So this year is the 10-year anniversary of Coaches Rising, and I feel moved by that. I, I can remember the moment when myself and Lawrence looked each other in the eyes and we said, you know, should we do this? And we did. We decided to do it. And two things were moving us in that moment. I think one was this desire to empower the world's coaches. I really believe that coaches can play an important role in helping us navigate these times. And the other was a desire to evolve the field of coaching. And I think, you know, that could sound grandiose, but I don't care because I feel like some way we are playing our part in that. So to celebrate the anniversary, we decided to create an online free event called the Coaching Summit. And the Coaching Summit is a celebration of the art of deep change. It's a, it's a free event. It runs from the 1st to the 14th of April. And we gathered together many of the master coaches we love into one place. They're going to be teaching live sessions. They're going to be doing live panel discussions. They're going to be coaching demos with debriefs, live Q&As. I can't believe it's a free event. And some of the topics we're going to explore is like how to be a trauma-sensitive coach, the coach is a field of transformation, how to coach leaders to thrive in complexity and how to prepare the upcoming disruption to the field of coaching, how to create embodied breakthroughs, ethics in coaching, the neuroscience of effective coaching. So it's a really beautiful mix of, of topics. And uh, as I shared, it's free. Uh, if you want to join, you can head to coachesrising.com forward slash summit and add your name to the sign-up box. I would also really appreciate if you would help us get the word out. I want this event to be as big as possible. I'm on fire about getting as many coaches to know about it as possible. So if you feel inspired, uh, if you take a look and you see you know, these amazing speakers we have, people like David White, Rick Hansen, Richard Struzzi Heckler, Jim Dethmer, Jennifer Garvey Berger, uh, amongst others, you know, uh, if you if you go there and you feel inspired, please, please share this event and let's get the word out and let's make it a truly global celebration of coaching. Okay, that's enough about that. Let's dive into the podcast. Rich, so cool to see you today. How's things? 
You too, Joel. Thank you. Uh, Honoured to be here. Uh, it's fun to catch up with you. Um, uh, things are, I, I will say complicated. I, I never like to answer that question and say fine, because life is complicated, business is complicated, being a parent is complicated. That, that doesn't mean it's challenging, but I, I like to be really present to what's real rather than giving glib answers like fine. I find that too, actually. That, that question is always brings up a rich uh, tapestry, doesn't it? You know, like, do you just say, yeah, everything's great? Or do you actually be honest, which would take a while? Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, well, I think that, that should be the context for our conversation today, honesty. Wherever we go, let's have that be our context. Yeah. I wrote down on my pad, let's say some things we've never said before. <laughs> okay, no pressure. <laughs> Bit of pressure there. Um, there's a couple of things that I want to talk to you about today. One is about how you coach. And the other is about your success with your coaching business. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we'll go in many places in between. And just to set a little bit of context, like we first met when we did the Coaches Rising Summit about three years ago, I think. And, you know, I'd been pretty used to doing those summits by then. So there was a little bit of habituation around the way I showed up. You know, of course, I really cared. But, but, you know, I was like, oh, here we go. You know, and it's another session. Let's make it amazing. But when I got on the line with you, something changed. It was like, you're like, okay, this is the way we're going to play tonight. Mm -hmm. We're just going to dive in. We're going to show up like we are now. Let's be honest, be real. And let's, we're just going to coach. I'm going to coach people. And that whole session was just electric. We got amazing feedback. So ever since then, I've been wanting to dive in with you to ask you about the way you coach but also about the where you're coming from, because I think that has such a profound impact on the way we coach. Uh, I don't know if there's a question there. I mean, I, I, the context I have for that is it's how I always show up. I, I just did uh, a webinar for another company the other day, and I always show up with, let me coach, let's challenge the way people are thinking, let don't give me questions in advance because I don't want to be prepared. I want to be in the moment and say what's real. So that's, that's always my compass for how to show up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let me, let me ask then, what is it when you are coaching people, what is it you're trying to do with those people? This is a big question, I know, but this is where I want to go under the hood. It's like, what, what is almost like your philosophy? Like, what are you what are you looking through? What lenses are you looking through as you're about to start coaching someone? The way you started the question, the way you ended the question are different because you say, what do you do? And then you say, what are the lenses you look through? Yeah. But it's much more about the latter part of the question. Yeah. I come from this frame, this context of you are far more powerful than you know. In fact, you've probably forgotten how powerful you are that's the context I have for whoever I'm talking to. And because I come from that place, it means that I'm looking for those moments that I can create the space for them to recognize that too. And that's the only thing I'm ever doing. And sometimes it looks like they'll get an insight and sometimes it looks like they'll take action. But really underneath it all, I'm reminding them how powerful they are. Mm. And do you find that that's, like how how do you get people there is it just like you said it's different every time or or 
like how do you know when they're able to start connecting remembering how powerful they are connecting to how powerful well i can't be attached to it because then it's my thing so it's the place i come from but i have no attachment to it you may not get it or it may take more than a single conversation or it might be in five years you remember that conversation it's like oh now i get it um look i'm the little boy when you trace back my history who spent much of his childhood feeling powerless, feeling that he was told what to do and how to show up and how he had to behave and what had to be done. And I struggled with that. But part of my gift comes from that very challenge of all those years of not feeling powerful is that I see when you are. I see where you are. I see how you are powerful, even if you can't see it for yourself. I can't help it. It's just that's, that's the way which I see the world. I see where your power lies, even if you want to push it away or pretend it's not there. Mm. Yeah. And um, I love that, you know, so often the way that we grow up, yeah, like the, the way we're shaped actually becomes a gift that mm -hmm. we then can use when we're working with other people. Yeah. So much often our biggest struggles become our biggest gifts. Mm. And I, I love what we, I was in the salon with you. And I remember one time you talked about, you know, a lot of, well, coaching, people come to coaching because they want results. But you were actually focusing not on the results, not even on the mindset, I think, but, but on the, you know, playing with the way that they actually see the world. Yeah, well, look, people come for coaching to coaching for one reason. They want results. And most coaches get very quickly that if we help you change the actions that you're taking, that will lead to different results over here. So you walk in the door and the coach is listening for what actions you're taking and they're immediately saying, okay, change this action, do this differently, do that differently. There's a lovely story my friend Michael Neal tells about a, a carpenter who goes to see a coach and asks for help to grow his business. And the coach immediately says, yep, you need a PR person, you need a marketing strategy, you need better search engine optimization. We need to work on your customer onboarding process. And they work through for an hour all the systems, all the actions he needs to take to change the results that he's creating. And the client's about to leave and looks back and says, and the coach looks back and says, oh, by the way, I forgot to ask your name. And he says, oh, my name? My name's Jesus. Hmm. And that's the place I'm looking for. Who are you that would impact the actions, that would impact the results? And who you are is a function of two things. It's a function of how you see the world and how you speak the world into, resist into existence. So how you see the world is relationships are challenging. The economy is tough. My boss is mean. We have these ways that we see the world and we speak the world into existence. And I play very differently. I, I, I want to, so all of that, the way that we see the world, the way that we listen for the world, the way that the world occurs for us is our mindset, it's our thinking. So my only job as a coach is to mess with your thinking. Mm. And then as a result of your thinking shifting, you'll take different actions and have different results. And the reason it doesn't work to go straight to actions and, and changing results is that most people have got an experience of this. You've got a, a buddy or a friend who keeps dating the same kind of woman and he comes to you and says, or, or man, and, and says, look, I'm, you know, this one's different. You say, oh my God, no, they're not. They're just like all the others. No, 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 you don't understand. This one is different. And, and you, you point out all the reasons why and they walk away like you're, you're crazy. And then three months later or whatever it is, they come back and said, oh my God, Joel, they treated me just the same way that every other one did. Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> and they couldn't hear you. 
they couldn't hear you. So as coaches, our job is to get behind the thinking of the person who's creating the actions and the results. And when you get to that place, if you create enough space, they'll get the insight themselves. And that's when the biggest impact happens. Mm. I think that's so important what you're talking about. You know, a lot of coaching is about problem solving. Mm -hmm. And I know how easy it can be sometimes to get into that with my clients. You know, like it's like I'm, I'm playing inside of their realm of what's possible and even their realm of like what's, what's true about the world. And yep. I know also what it's like to not play that game and to, and to go, hey, hey, wait, stop. Let's, you know, let's play a different game. I, I call problem solving remedial coaching. It's not that it's bad or wrong. There's a place for it, but it's remedial. It's, it's like, what's the problem you've got? I'll help you solve it. Now what's the next one? I'll help you solve it. I mean, it's a way to keep business coming in. Like, give me the next problem. Give me the next problem. And it, it's not where the biggest shifts happen. And, and sometimes there are coaches who've helped their clients solve their problems and their clients end up quitting and leaving and they're frustrated. I don't understand. We solved that problem because it wasn't the problem. It wasn't what they needed. And, and your job as a coach is to go underneath what they're asking for to find what they really, really want, not the thing that they, they think they need. Mm. And, yeah. 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 I couldn't agree more. Um, and, and how, um, maybe you could say something about this, but for me, how doing that takes you into a whole different paradigm where perhaps, um, you know, it becomes less about the actions then, you know, less about accountability or, you know, like, you, like I've heard you talk about pe having people on the hot seat and, and like leaving them simmering and boiling once they get to this place where, everything's opened up and then you know like actually you don't need to go further necessarily in that moment yeah and it's not even as much as everything's opened up so mm. so we tend to think as coaches the best sound to ever hear is when a client goes wow but actually the most powerful sound you hear from a client is when they go huh and when they go huh there's this moment when you get like Ooh, like the door opened just a crack that maybe the world as they see it isn't quite the world as is. And so the example I give for that, I, I wear prescription sunglasses. I'll come home some, some days it's been a really hot day here in LA and I'm wearing my sunglasses in the house. I haven't noticed it's bright out. And then later in the day, Oh my God, it's dark in here. I'll turn all the lights on and it's still dark. And I'll suddenly realize I'm still wearing my sunglasses. We're all wearing glasses all the time. We're all seeing the world through some kind of lens, but we can't see it. I'm wearing glasses right now, but until I've started this conversation, I've forgotten, and now I'm very aware of the rims around my eyes. But in 20 seconds' time, I'll have forgotten, and I'm, I, won't, I literally won't see the frames. And I'll forget I'm looking through lenses that literally change the way I see the world. Well, you're not wearing physical glasses right now, but I promise you, you see the world through a certain frame. You have the stories in your head about this is how my culture shows up. This is how a person of my background shows up. I'm a coach with this training. This is how I do things. We have this and we don't see it. And that, the job of a coach is to take the implicit and make it explicit. Wow, the world does look different if I do this. 
but those lenses through which people see the world are, are we, I, I don't know if this will come out as just audio. Right now yeah. we can see one another. Like I'm pulling my glasses down and looking over the top of them. It's like, oh yeah, it looks different when I look over the top of my glasses to when I look through the lenses. But we do that for a client. We, we move this and they go, wow, the world is different. And they walk back into the world and the glasses snap back on. The lenses through which they see the world come back, which is why I like to work with someone over time because they see the world differently for a moment. And then I leave them in this space of, gentle reflection i think it's one of the most powerful coaching tools sometimes a coach will go oh you've got the insight now let me beat you over the head of it and now now let's turn the insight into 17 next action steps and i think my experience is that sometimes it's really powerful to leave them in that place of gentle reflection and then come back and say how did it go the problem with being really smart as a coach is that you see sometimes the moment the client walks through the door this is what they need. This is how we'll get them there. This is how I'll do it. And that leaves no space for the client to get there on their own. And it leaves no space for the possibility that you didn't quite catch it the way that they need to get it. Mm -hmm. I think that speaks to that question I brought up at the beginning is like, what, what are you looking through? Like, how are you being with your client in a way that creates these shifts and and that speaks to it for me that yeah you're 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 not trying to do those things you just said like be smart be i think that's a trap yeah yep. so so you said let's have a conversation that's never been had before let's let's say things we never said before um i'll i'll make it edgy for you how about i coach you right now Okay, live on a podcast that you weren't expecting. This is for your audience, but this, otherwise it's conceptual, right? Like yeah. people get it now, right? I, there are ways in which you see the world and I'm challenging people's thinking. Um, I, and I love it particularly, Joel, when, so you might have an issue you want to talk about and I, and I get this might be edgy for you right now. So let yourself feel everything <laughs> you're feeling. <laughs> he looks nervous for those of you who are listening in. Um, <laughs> and what I love even more is when a client comes to me and they usually come very apologetic. Look, my clients are very high performers. I've got a client who's just had a business get a billion dollar valuation. It's in the tech field. I've got a client who um, is currently raising $100 million to change the future of work. One of the members of 4PC, my community of high performing coaches, is the former chief marketing officer of Harley Davidson. Another's a former Navy SEAL. So I love to work with people who've done extraordinary things, things that I could never do possibly. And they'll sometimes come to a conversation and say, I'll say, where shall we go? And they'll say, actually, life's great. I'm really sorry. I've got nothing to talk about. That's when I rub my hands. Because when you have nothing to talk about, it allows for possibilities that couldn't have been there before. We're not problem solving. We're just saying, let's have a conversation. So what should we talk about? What's on your mind? <laughs> Um, what comes up is that I feel on fire at the moment with my work, um, which brings up fear as well. Um, yeah, I'm getting a, a deeper cut of, of the work I'm here to do. And um, this sense of creating inner alignment in my clients. And I know what that means. You know, it's become crystal clear what that means to me. 
And so it's very uh, generative. There's all these ideas I've got about what I want to create. And then what comes up is the fear of, um, you know, that I know there's some of my clients that don't fit into this anymore. Or there's some things that I'm doing that don't fit into this anymore. Hmm. Now, I can see you. And, and when you were sharing that story, thank you for being willing to play with me. This is, this is probably a bit edgy because you thought you'd be in control in this conversation. Um, and I get it. You feel on fire. Like I can feel that in you. I've known you for a while and I've felt this building. So it feels like a really great place. And then you said there's fear as well. But I don't get fear when I look at you. And I'm going to question <laughs> I'm going to question whether this is a story that you're, that you're, that you're you, like sometimes, and I know it too, because I've been doing it recently. I was talking about the same thing that I was using fear as an excuse when I'm actually not afraid about what's coming next. So what's the laughter? What, what are you, what are you getting around that? Yeah. Yeah. That it feels, uh, it feels true. Um, like I actually don't feel afraid at all. I feel just really excited really excited and actually I'm in a luxury position because you know I've got an, a, enough clients I've, my business is going really well so um, and and what I'm gonna get at is that I can tweak everything I'm doing to fit you know so it's not like I, I, I'm afraid of like having to start again so it does it does feel like a an outdated story i mean there's still there's there's something there but but yeah it's not true Um, is it this are you using that as a way to stay safe like if i'm playing big but i say i'm a bit afraid at the same time then i'm relatable because you know it's it's not socially acceptable to be frank when you walk into a room people say how's life you know you know what i'm on fire my business is flying. It's doing better than it's ever done. And I'm not only excited, every part of my body is tingling because I feel so great. <laughs> we don't, you're not supposed to do that. In England, when someone says, how's, how's business? You have to use the phrase, mustn't grumble. <laughs> <laughs> In other places, like things are okay, or things are challenging, or I'm a bit scared. And I wonder if it's that safety that you've, you've been taught and trained yeah, I, I I have a particular version of that, which is is like, um, it's just like you're not allowed to play big. Mm. Some version of that. So it's less about the boasting, and it's more about. Yeah, you're just like you just. In some way, it's, it's still a residue of not good enough to play big. When was the first time when you cast your mind back, Joel, that you remember getting that message, you're not allowed to play big? Well, what comes up immediately, and it it might seem like a strange example, but it was very impactful. It was when I was in the kitchen of my house with my father. I'm not sure exactly how old I was. I think I was... um, five or six or something but I remember I just wanted to um, get his attention because I was really excited about something and he he was like cooking and he just said not now Joel 
and I, you know, I just was uh, like mortified. I just remember it. I, I mean, I can see it. Look, I can literally still see very clearly. And I just felt shame. Mm. And in that moment, there was this message of like, don't impose, don't impose on people. And, and so that, that to me is a bit the same feeling. It's like, don't, don't shine with that passion. Don't impose because people are too busy or something, or they're just going to, they're just going to say, not now, Joel. Yeah. yeah. I can feel some sadness. Like, yeah, me too. I'm moved because I'm a dad of a four-year-old and a seven-year-old and I'm aware that I'm going to have a moment when I say something like that that's going to have an impact on them that ripples into their future. I was talking to a friend the other day who's super successful headhunter and was sharing with me the story about something that his father had said to him when he was a kid and then that had impacted him like, like your story, ripple effect into the future. And he'd gone back to speak to his dad and his dad was very, very old and shared that story with his dad. Dad didn't have the slightest memory. In fact, because his dad gave him some advice as he remembered it. And his dad not only didn't remember it, but said, oh, I, I would never say that. That's not what I believe. Mm. So we hear this thing and we make our future based upon it. I feel that inside of you. I felt the sadness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's true for my dad as well. I'm sure he yeah. didn't, didn't even notice what happened. Yeah. And I also, I have a stepson who's 11 and I'm, I'm, I know that I've done the same things with him and that, that hurts as well. Yeah. Although it's human. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause there'll be other things that you say casually that, that they'll take to be amazing and have success because of it. <laughs> like, no, I never yeah. even meant that. Yeah. But, but thanks for sharing because now you get a chance to see, you know, that picture of you and your father felt really real. Mm. What, what clothes, what color clothes was he wearing? I, I, I think he was wearing a shirt. I, I can't picture the clothes as well as I can see where he was stood in the kitchen. Mm. And I can see that he was like, he had his back to me yeah. and that he was like chopping some vegetables. And I, and I, he had the radio on. It's like, I can, it's all yeah, that right. like, it's really quite uh, yeah. amazing. Well, stay with it. If you're okay to stay with it for a moment. Yeah. Were you called Joel as a youngster? Yeah. Did you have a nickname? Okay. How present are you to little Joel in that scenario right now? Yeah. Yeah. If you're willing, step into that scene as Joel the adult. And your dad's got his back to you, so he won't see you. But maybe crouch down next to little Joel and let him know you're there and that he's safe. That This might seem strange, but he's safe. Yeah. And, and then... Tell little Joel in a way that he'll understand because he's only four or five. Thank you. Like some of the ways that you saw the world and created the world have allowed me to have this amazing life and business and, and to feel on fire all these years later. And I'm so grateful to you. Let him know how grateful you are. Hmm. Hmm. Does he get it? Yeah. Well, yeah, just, I'm glad you asked because I started to feel an immediate shift 
in, in me right here, right now. Mm. But yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about the shift in a moment, but, but for, for mo this moment, stay with little Joel and, and let him know that that message that he's about to hear from his dad just means that his dad's busy cooking and that's all it means. And his dad loves him and his dad wants him to play big and it's okay to impose on other people because you couldn't impose on people if you tried. That's their, that's their choice. It's okay to play big and be on fire doing so. <laughs> and he's five and even if he doesn't quite get the words, he'll get the impact in his body. Yeah, give him a hug. Yeah. Okay, go finish that. Well, that's that's what I'm really in touch with now. Yeah, yeah. Give him a hug or whatever he needs, a high five, and let him know that you've got things now. That he's had your back all these years, and now it's your turn. And you're you know he's there if you need him, but now it's your turn to take care of him. <laughs> I can feel like a joy yeah. now, uh, particularly around my heart, but it's like a, an upwelling joy. Yeah. And give him a wink or a smile and whenever you're ready, step back out of that scenario. Yeah. And the reason the shift happened so fast was that you changed like the computer chip in his brain that told him this message made one, made, meant one thing that has played out for your entire life. But when you went back and changed it so that Joel's dad not being willing to speak in that moment actually meant that he's allowed to be on fire and he's allowed to play as big as he wants, rippled through the years that fast that you felt it inside of your body. Hmm. Yeah, and that's the that's the feeling I'm with right now is like a um, this subtle joy, like expansion, and um, well, it's a palpable shift. Let me say, and um, peace. Yeah, <laughs> and so you're human, right? There'll be moments when you notice either a feeling of fear come up as you continue to play big and be on fire, or just the language you'll catch yourself and saying, and I'm a bit afraid when you're talking to somebody and then make it a practice of catching yourself. Each time you say that, you don't know, to judge yourself, but call it back in. Oh, you know what? That's an old habit I've got of saying I'm afraid. I just, I just want to call it out. I'm actually not afraid. Hmm. I might have some energy in my body, but I'm putting a label on calling it fear and I don't need to do that. And if you start to make that little thing, your practice of just naming it, Oh, it's not fear. That's an old habit. But, and sometimes it will be. There'll be fear is a useful emotion at times. But practice naming it and then saying, that's yeah, not true. I'm not afraid. Or, and actually, I am afraid. Mm. We're not taking away fear. If you're on top of a building about to do a bungee jump or whatever it is, it's okay to feel that energy. But just notice and label it and then acknowledge, oh, it's true or it's not true. It's just an old story. Thanks.
Yeah. So let's pause in this moment and check in how you're doing. What, what, what's, what's, the, the, what's the takeaway from that experience for you? Um, let me see if I can put it into words. Oh, um, and that's a good catch. If you can't, that's okay, because this might be a felt insight and yeah. there's no need to put it into words. So check in. You may say, you know what? It's a feeling and, it, and I'm complete. It's, I, I do want to put it into words. And it's, um, but it is, it, is mo it is a feeling. That's the thing. It's a felt shift. Yeah. Uh, but it, it feels like a sense of fullness or okayness. Yeah. And also, like, I'm not hiding anything. So there's a vulnerability, but that vulnerability adds into that fullness. So it's just, it's just like there's an ease. It, it creates a sense of ease. And if I create from this place, if I share from this place, it's authentic and, and, and it has real impact. It's, yeah. I love it. I, I hear a distinction in there between ease and easy. And creating from easy is looking for the shortcut like so many are these days. And so that, that is not the game to play. The, the game to come from this place of ease feels really good on you. Mm. yeah that's something that's important to me yeah that distinction you just made mm. that when we find this sense of ease i think that's when we start to do our best work well that's a generalization if you own it <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay good i'm going back into interview mode in a way but yeah yeah no good catch um yeah for me that's when i that's when i just show up as i am yeah yeah beautiful so let's, let, let's put a line underneath that and come out of that little coaching experience um, and then <laughs> whenever you're ready you can shift back into yeah. the game of interviewing but I, it, it felt great. I didn't know where we were going to go. You'd said, let's create the space for a conversation that hasn't been had before. And that was the one that occurred. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's two ways we could go from here, I see. One is, is there anything you want to share about that coaching, about the move you made or what you did that, it, that could take us deeper into, you know, into to why you were coaching in that way. The other one is like, I want to know a bit about you and your growth and your journey as a coach, because something you just said to me struck me. And I think that's what I love about the work you bring to the world. There's a lot out there right now, which is uh, uh, easy. You know, it's like quick fix. Mm -hmm. You can make a thousand, you know, six figure coaching in six weeks and yep. you don't give that message. Nope. Well, let's, let's just separate the two. The, the, the first one is um, uh, for about three or four years, people have been asking me to distinguish my coaching. How am I doing what I'm doing? And I've said for years, you know what? I've done dozens of trainings, thousands of hours, been coached by so many coaches. It, it, it's, a, it's all of that blended in. I can't distinguish this. Um, and it's, um, 
oh, what's the phrase? It's, ah, uh, what are the four levels of competence? The highest level of competence, it's unconscious, unconscious competence. competence. But there's a level above unconscious competence called mastery. And mastery, look at that thing you do so effortlessly and easily, easily and begin to distinguish how are you doing it? Why are you doing it? Where does it come from? And I spent two years doing that. So I've, I've got a framework for how I do my coaches. I've broken it into my coaching. I broke it into five different elements. If that's interesting, I'd be happy to send it to you. You could send it to your audience. Mm-hmm. They can use yeah. it as an assessment. So they can assess based on how I do deep coaching, what I think deep coaching is about, um, how, how's their coaching. So I'd be happy to send that to you. We'll and, put that in the show notes for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. So it distinguishes things like deep listening, eliciting, drawing out from your client, leadership are willing to lead. Uh, there are five different elements to it. So rather than diving into that, let them have a look at that. Um, and I'd be happy to share that with your audience. Yeah. So then, yeah, I, I like that distinction of ease versus easy. Um, I, I've seen so many ads on Facebook recently. The, the, the two that struck me recently were um, something like this. I will share with you the blueprint to how I built my $20 million coaching business and I'll share it with you for free. Just sign up here. <laughs> I, I get frustrated by those, that kind of nonsense because, I mean, if, if it was as simple as following somebody else's steps, well, let's just all read Richard Branson's autobiography and we'll all be billionaires. It's, it's not about what they were doing. It's about who they were being when they were doing it, let alone the circumstances, the environment they were in, um, and, and the, the luck, the opportunities that arose. So I'm less interested in teaching people formulas than frameworks. I'm less interested in trying to solve problems than trying to live with paradox. I'm fascinated by paradox. The paradox is when in one situation, this is, this is the perfect solution. And in another situation, it's the worst possible solution. So those two things interest me. Uh, frameworks, uh, my book, The Prosperous Coach, has sold 50,000 copies for a reason. It's still five years later after publication, still selling 1,000 copies a month. There's a framework in it that if you follow will help you create clients. That's interesting to me. There's no formula. There's no step-by-step. It's not easy. It's simple. Mm. It doesn't mean it's easy. You've still got to do the work. So business has been like that for me. Business has been full of ups and downs and challenges. And I get to the one level of success and I find that, oh, I thought this would be the place where I can rest easy. And, oh no, now there's a new level of challenge. That for me is edgy, but it's also exciting. I like the idea that, that every time I have a success, that there's going to be, I call them quality problems. The kind of problems that if you share out in the world to other people, they would say, I wish I had your problems. But there's still problems and challenges. So that's, that's the theme of the second book I'm writing, The Success Paradox. This idea that people think that when you've got success, that you're on beaches all day, you're sipping margaritas. And I haven't found that to be the case with any of the most successful people I know. And what's been your biggest surprise on this journey? You know, working around being successful yourself, working with other successful people. What's the biggest surprise you've discovered? Um, 
one of them I call the, because there's, there's a whole bunch, one of them I call the fraud paradox. Like I have this constant feeling of being a fraud. Like uh, th this is a, a fluke that it's working for me right now. Or how do I get into this room with these people? I have this constant sense of being a fraud. And I think that then it will go, I get to hear it will go away. But I get to hear and then I'm surrounded by people who are playing at this level and it's back again until it goes away. But I'm at this level now and then it's back again. And the, 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 the fraud paradox is this idea that I haven't seen it go away, that, that I have this constant feeling. And what I've learned is that, well, I've got to keep heading in that direction. Because the way I put it, if you're, in the, if you're the most interesting person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Mm. And so I keep challenging myself to surround myself with people where it feels edgy to be in that room. And even the community I credit, 4PC, stands for the 4% club. 4% is the top 20% of the top 20%. So these are really high-performing coaches and leaders, some of the people I mentioned earlier who play a really big game. I didn't want to create a community where I'm the leader, that you should be in awe of me. I wanted it to be, and it's one of our ground rules, we should be, you can be a little bit in awe of us, but we need to be a little bit in awe of you for you to come into play in our community. That I surround myself with people, even in the communities that I'm creating, curating and leading, that I'm in awe of anyone who's walking through the door. Hmm. Just this thing about the fraud paradox, you know, it yeah. seems like it's very interesting because you said like, oh, I get to this next level and then it's still there in some way and then I get to the next level. So I wonder if it's about going to the next level and the, and the next level or if like whether that fraud paradox, fraud paradox is something you'll just always live with or whether there's, there's a different place where it, where it may go away. I don't know the answer to that, but I'm just wondering because I noticed the same thing for me is with money and income. You know, I keep thinking, oh, when I get to that level of income, then I'll stop worrying about having enough money. And that, that hasn't gone away yet. Yeah. Well, they're two separate things. Having money and worrying about money are completely different. I have a friend with a $20 million net worth whose partner is constantly worried about the money running out. They are, they are very, very different things. If you want to solve your issues around worrying about money, you have to look about why do I worry about money? If you want to solve your issues about making more money, you have to look at what do I need to do to make more money? They're completely different. And we can talk about that if you like, because I've got a lot of experience on working on those two things. But yeah, what you're pointing to on a more general issue is you can never have enough of what you don't really need. And I'll say that again, because if people are hearing that phrase for the first time, it messes with your mind. You can never have enough of what you don't really need. So I, I'll make it real. I had a client who was a hedge fund manager who managed billions of dollars of assets had extremely high net worth, had friends who were at, at a presidential level in some cases around the world, super successful, super successful friends. As a youngster, he was an immigrant to the United States and kids teased him hmm. and he never felt like he fit in. And all he'd ever done to get nice cars, nice homes, more money in his bank account, more amazing people he was hanging out with was to take away the feeling of I don't fit in but he'd never worked on the feeling of I don't fit in. He'd worked on the things that he thought would get rid of that feeling. You can never have enough of what you don't really need. What we needed to do was work on that feeling of I don't fit in. Hmm. Yeah. And then he might still be the guy who 
wants to go and help people make a lot of money because he's a great hedge fund manager, or maybe he realized he doesn't. Look, the, the irony does not escape me that I was, a, as a youngster, felt the need to prove myself to my father. That played out in my life, not just in my relationship with my dad into adulthood, but also with anyone I met. I wanted to prove myself to you because if I proved myself, then you'd like me, then I'd fit in, then I'd be enough. And who else but that guy who had that frame of trying to prove himself would create the 4% club, a group of the top 4% of coaches and leaders out there. Who else but that guy would do that? I see that. But on the other hand, nobody else did. And I've created this amazing community of leaders. So I think one of the biggest keys to success as a leader is self-awareness. When you see yourself, then you can be real. When you're willing to call yourself out even more powerful, but just seeing yourself, having that self-awareness. I get where my doubts and insecurities and fears led me to be that guy creating 4PC. But on the other hand, I have. And it's an incredible powerhouse of really high-performing coaches. And I love that. And I have the self-awareness and the willingness to even talk about it and laugh at myself. I think self-awareness is a big part of the key. Hmm. But I think this is really important what you're saying now because a lot of people I've discovered, um, they're they're almost like um, they're, they're waiting, they're waiting until they've dealt with their vulnerabilities, insecurities, stuff before they show up. And what you're saying is actually, or what I'm getting is that the more you're able to just be comfortable with your vulnerabilities, your insecurities, the more powerful you become in a sense, the more real or something like, maybe I'm filling in a lot of gaps. No, it's great. It's great. The the way I describe that is confidence is a result, not a requirement. Confidence is a result, not a requirement. Yet we all want it first. If only I was more confident, then I would speak on a stage, grow my business, coach these people. You know what? You weren't confident when you did X, Y, or Z all those years ago. And everyone's got a story about things they did when they didn't have confidence first. So why do you think you need it now? You might need courage. Sometimes it takes a bit of courage to do the thing. Courage is, is, courage is not having no fear. It's having fear and doing it anyway. Hmm. But confidence, confidence will come later. And I think what strikes me is that these leaders you're working with, you know, if you get higher and higher up, it's just the same thing, you know, like that, or let me say this, like they're not super people, you know, like with superpowers, although maybe they do have superpowers, but just not in the way that we think, but they're just normal people with their insecurities as well. That's the beauty about being in 4PC. The, the, the tagline we use internally is not in our marketing. We say 4PC is the place where you can never get too big and never get too messy. So it's the place where when you walk through the doors, you can put humility to one side. You don't have to play the game of I feel on fire and I feel afraid because we're taught to do that. In 4PC, it's like I feel on fire and it feels amazing. But it's also the place where you can never get too messy. You know, what? I screwed up this thing last week. I made a mistake here or I do feel afraid. It's okay to feel that too. There's something I do feel afraid about. And I love this. I'm surrounded by people in 4PC who are... Uh, having a billion dollar valuation on their company or are a former Navy SEAL or whatever it is, run you know, several seven-figure businesses that I can go, wow, I'm in awe of you. And then they can be real about what's going on behind, behind the, 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 
the image that nobody would see. Because the problem is, Joel, we tend to compare how we feel on the inside with how everyone else looks on the outside. Mm. And the worst part of that is in this Facebook culture we live in is that, well, Facebook is a place where you put your best stuff out. Um, I, I just wrote an article that I'm calling, I've never taken a selfie during an argument with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I take photos when we're having a great date. We're playing with the kids, but we have arguments all the time. We have moments when we storm out on one another and we never stop to go, let's take a photo. So nobody ever sees that. So they compare my best moments with their worst. And that's just in relationships, same in business. I, I cried oh, this time last year in front of my team after arguing with someone in the team because I was worn out and exhausted and frustrated and angry. And I didn't think until this moment, I've never shared that with anybody. So people would see, oh, wow, Rich has this amazing business, this amazing clients, and have no idea what's going on here. Mm. I mean, I do my best to share as much as I can, but I'd forgotten that one. That was intense and I'd forgotten it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think we need more of this in the world, you know, this honesty, this sharing, because, um, man, I'm so humbled, particularly with my living with my family. But, um, I like, I like that. That's what I like about Tim Ferriss, why he does his drunken, um, you know, he has these episodes where he gets drunk and responds oh, because that, you know, he's letting down. It's so easy to get invested in your public face. You know, and then and that's just a killer because you start to feel constrained and you, there's a... That's our next uh, podcast together. We will get drunk and we'll <laughs> jump on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and just one other thing, we're, I, as we're getting close to our, the end of our time, one of the most powerful questions you ever asked me, and it reminds me of 4PC because you said, who do you want to be hanging around with? That's, that's the question I asked myself with 4PC. So who do you want to be hanging around with? Who are these people that, that maybe intimidate you, but they're the people I'll, you I'll would... I'll tell you how I answer that question. I'll answer it with a question I heard a while ago. Peter Diamandis asks this question to get people thinking exponentially. He says, what would you do if you had a billion dollars? You see, with a billion dollars, you'd done all the shopping, you'd had all the nice homes, the cars, the yachts, everything would have been covered. So the shopping's all handled. And I know immediately the answer to that question. If I had a billion dollars, it would be my entry ticket to go and sit in the rooms with billionaires because I know that I'm the guy who could mess with their thinking. I'm the guy who, when everyone else is saying yes to everything they say, I'm the one who's willing to challenge the way they see the world and will dare to say things that other people wouldn't dare to say. And I'm human. I have this fear. I heard that question. I knew my answer. And it's like, oh, you've got a fear of walking into a room with someone who has a billion dollars. I mean, I've met a billionaire and he was very, very ordinary. <laughs> but I have this fear, the human fear of like, oh, how would, I, how would I get to sit down with a billionaire and challenge their thinking? Can, can I ask you about that? Yeah. Because um, I, I'm, I'm curious, what, what would you like to do with those billionaires? Let me see. Let me share a bit. Because I might, some people listening might be like, oh, well, he just wants to be with billionaires because they're rich and you know, it's all about lots of money. What, what is the motivation for you to be in with those billionaires, particularly with the world? You know, I don't know if you have like the world is, you know, it's in a screwed up way in a lot of ways right now. And um, if, if you could boil everything that I'm about down to a single word, it's the word impact. And so why I choose to work with the clients that I choose to work with 
is there people having a big impact? Uh, Jen Gresham, who was my apprentice, who's currently raising $100 million in order to change the future of work, that has me on fire. That's exciting to me. My client who's got a billion dollar valuation for her company, the company is, in layman's terms, creating Wi-Fi communication to Mars. Like these are people who are making what could be possibly a massive impact on our planet for the future of humanity. That's what interests me. So I use the term billionaires in a generalized term, but these are the kind of people who have the potential to make a massive impact really fast. And that's what excites me. There are other criteria I have for working with a client, like you have to be fun, um, that, that you might not tick the box just because you have a lot of money. Um, but that's why I'm about impact. And I'm also about leverage. Um, I, I sometimes tell this story. I say, I, I, I don't want to be on Oprah like so many coaches do. I want to coach Oprah. Now, I don't even know if she needs a coach. It's not about her. It's that I want to work with the person who has the massive impact. Mm. Don't get me wrong. If she calls, I'll pick up job. <laughs> I'll say yes to being on the show. But I want to coach the people who have a big impact because that excites me. And I don't want to have millions of clients, thousands of clients, that's what of clients. I think we need from coaches in the world clients, this day, these people days, people, people who are totally connected to, to five, a mission, one one they're calling who are making a big impact. And, that's you know, want to, but I feel you, man, the that's, impact that, that's the it. And I think that's what every coach So I was just really, it. really excited. Whatever about that what is for them that you just yeah, expressed well, to me. I am on a mission. That's the place we need is my coaching right now. I made a commitment that I'm in for 25 years. We're about to start year five. We've had some members who've been in for all four years and other people who've come in and then grown and flown, but I'm in for 25 years. So I don't know what it will look like as time goes on, but I know I'm curating this community of extraordinary people. That is exciting to me. Mm, nice. Well, let's, I just want to give you the chance. I mean, I've had a, um, Great time with you, and we definitely did say things that we weren't going to say, or at least I did anyway. Um, yes. <laughs> so I just want to, where can we find out more about the things you're up to for PC and things like that? Thank you for asking. If you go to richlitvin.com, uh, you'll find on my website links to the, the, there's two main ways to work with us. If you want to master the prosperous coach approach, if you want to learn the framework behind how to enroll high-performing, high-fee clients. It's simple, but it's not easy. And there's a structure and a framework that we'll take you through. And we have a program called The Salon that's helped to launch some of the most successful and uh, unique coaches out there. You're a, a veteran of The Salon. Um, that's one, one thing that we do. And the other thing is 4PC. Uh, it's this community of extraordinarily talented individuals. If you want to work with me, I do three times a year something I call a deep dive where you come and spend three days with me in a small group of other fascinating people. And we just do exactly what I did to you, but nonstop for three days with no more than 10 people. That's really fun. But all of that's on my website. Nice. Thanks. Yeah. I could just highly recommend people check out your work. And I'll, yeah, I'll be speaking about that in the intro as well. It's had a huge impact on, on me and my business. So, yeah. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for jumping back on with me as well with that kind of little technological snafu. So appreciate no worries, you doing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my friends coaches um, leaders, people who run multi, multi-million dollar companies. And one of the most fun things that he does, he'll get together a group of five of these leaders of massive global companies. And they have to meet him for breakfast before the meeting starts. 
and he'll book a downstairs room in a hotel that's cramped with no windows and whatever they've ordered for breakfast, he'll make sure comes late and cold and is the wrong order. And then he'll show up late and they'll blow up at him. And then he stops them and says, you got breakfast late and you're in a crappy room and you freak out. Where is this impacting the global organizations that you're running right now? Mm. And it's such a powerful insight for me. <laughs> you got <laughs> so it. We handled it. We handled it on the fly, Joel. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. Thanks. Hello, it's Joel here again. I just want to take a moment to tell you about the Coaching Summit. This is the free online event, which is a celebration of the art of deep change. And it's running from the 1st to the 14th of April. Some of the speakers we've got are awesome. Uh, David White, best-selling author and poet. Rick Hansen, uh, Richard Strozzi Heckler, Rich Litvin, Margaret Wheatley, Wendy Palmer, Jennifer Garvey Berger, Jim Dethmer. It's really uh, an amazing lineup. And um, I just want as many coaches to know about it as possible. So just go check it out. It's at coachesrising.com forward slash summit. Uh, it's free. You can just add your name into the sign-up box to register. And if you feel inspired, please share that event. I just want to make this a big, big global celebration of coaching. I want as many coaches to know about it as possible. So uh, just invite you to check that out. And I will see you again soon on the podcast. So until then, be well. Be well.